Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. That's where we are today as we continue in our series, Tracing the Life of the Prophet Elijah, 1 Kings 19. Here's the key concept for today. Depression and fear do not have to defeat you. God can lift you up. God can lift you up. 1 Kings 19. We're going to move through that chapter. I encourage you to follow, follow along in your Bibles with me. But as you find that, the story is told of a lady who phoned a family in her church. She just wanted to catch up and see how they were doing. And a little boy answered the phone instead of the mom who she was expecting. He answered in a whispered voice. Hello? Hi, who's this? This is Jimmy. I'm four. Jimmy, can I speak to your mom? No. She's busy. Oh, okay, Jimmy, can I speak to your dad? He's busy too. Well, there are, are there any other adults in your house, Jimmy? Jimmy? Yes, the police. <laughs> oh, really? Well, can I speak to one of the police officers, Jimmy? No, they're busy. Well, are there other adults that I can speak to there? Anybody else? Yes, the firemen. Well, would you put them on the line? No. They're busy. Well, Jimmy, what are all these people busy doing in your house? They're looking for me. <laughs> I'm hiding. And I thought of that story because that's what Elijah's doing as we start our, our story today. Elijah is hiding. And it's surprising that he's hiding because last week in chapter 18, we saw Elijah have this great victory in this face-off between Elijah and the pagan prophets. Not only did the pagan gods prove false and powerless, God himself put on a mighty show, sending down God's own fire from heaven, burning up the sacrifice, burning up the wood, licking up the rocks of the altar and the water that was in the trench around the altar, and the result of that demonstration of God's power is recorded in 1 Kings 18.39. It says, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. God and Elijah had been vindicated. And after that, as Elijah prayed, the rain came, the drought was over, and God was victorious and Elijah was his champion just a chapter ago. But as we come to our passage today, Queen Jezebel hears about this and pushes back against Elijah. Pick up the reading in verse 1 of chapter 19. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree and sat under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Not only is Elijah a fugitive running for his life, 
Elijah sees that Ahab hasn't been changed. Jezebel hasn't been changed. And even though he heard a great testimony from the people in the moment, they haven't changed. They haven't risen up to get rid of these pagan leaders. So here he is in the desert hiding in despair. And he's saying, I have had enough. And in his, in his depression, he is suicidal. And he prays that he might die. Now, this is a situational depression. The situation around him has caused him to feel despair. There's all kinds of different reasons to be depressed. Some people, the, the, the depression is clinical, and they need medication for that depression. But in this situation, it's similar to what many of us feel. The circumstances just get us down, and in his situation, it was to the degree where he felt like he should die. Mark Littleton was a pa is a pastor and a well-known author. He writes in Christian periodicals and books, and he wrote something that surprised me. I'm going to quote him. He says, I experienced long periods of joy. I had had more friends than I know what to do with. I was a student in a respectable seminary, but one day in seminary, and then every day for the next two and a half years, the unthinkable happened. I wanted to end my life. Every day I meditated and planned on committing suicide. Here he is, a pastor, a man ready to have a successful ministry. One man said, depression followed me around like a black dog all of my life. That man is Winston Churchill. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher of old. He used to get so depressed that he refused to leave his home for church on Sundays. Sometimes the deacons would literally go and carry him from his house into the pulpit. Elders don't get any ideas about that. <laughs> but Elijah comes to that point. He goes, listen, even when I win, I lose. I quit. Nothing's changing. And all I feel is pressure. You remember Bob Euchre? He's an ex-baseball player, TV personality, and actor. He once was asked, how did you handle the pressure of batting in the major league? You know, with all that pressure, with all the fans watching TV and everything else, how did you handle it? And he said, well, simple. I used to just strike out and put pressure on the next guy. And that's exactly what Elijah feels like. I can't deal with this pressure anymore. I'm burned out. And even when things go well, nothing changes. I'm out. Put the pressure on the next guy. But in the midst of this emotion, Elijah shows us some principles about life. And the first principle is this. In victory, you are near defeat. In victory, you are near defeat. And I say, how does that work? It works this way. See, in the good times, we are fooled into thinking that there will always be good times, that there'll be nothing but good times, that nothing bad will ever happen. And so when something does occur and hard times come, and it will, you're not prepared, and it hits you. In victory, you're near defeat because you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to that kind of thinking, and you're also sometimes vulnerable to pride in victory. 1 Kings 19.4, Elijah is speaking, and he says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And it raises the question, Elijah, who said you were better than your ancestors? Right? Pride is dangerous, even in little doses. Something happened to Elijah's thinking. In the midst of all the victory, he remembered the people who had let God down. He remembered those who had wimped out when the pressure was on, when faced with persecution, they couldn't withstand it. But Elijah had not wimped out. He wanted to do better for God. He wanted to be better for God. And when that victory came, he thought he was. He thought he was. 
But then when Jezebel's threat caused him to fear, and it seemed like even though victory was there, nothing was changing, there was not the radical change he wanted to occur. Reality came flooding in, and you know what that reality was? I'm not special. Pride is an opening that Satan can exploit, and when he does, the bubble bursts, and pride is dangerous. Texas rancher was thought to be the picture of success. He had a huge ranch, and he used the money from the ranch to buy the nearby ranches, and he added the herds to his herd, and he added the names of those ranches that he purchased to the name of his ranch as a way to just to celebrate his accomplishment. It was a monument of pride, and the name of the ranch came to be this. He said, I own the Rocking R, ABC, Flying W, Circle C, Bar U, Staple 4, Box D, Rolling M, Rainbow's End, Silver Spur Ranch. And a friend of his said, wow, how many head of cattle do you have? He said, zero. They don't live through the branding. <laughs> right? You can get blinded by pride. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride comes in victory, and in small doses, even in small doses, it can be dangerous. But it's another way where in victory you're near defeat. You see, in victory you get Satan's attention. And this encounter at Mount Carmel, Satan's kingdom was shaken. Satan's plan was shaken. He went on the offensive. If you are doing nothing for God, if you're useless for the kingdom of heaven, Satan is very pleased to keep you comfortable. Why should he bother? But when the power of God is being seen in your life, when you are working for the advancement of the kingdom of God, Satan pushes back and he uses Jezebel here to do it. You're vulnerable. In victory, you're near defeat. And so Elijah feels that defeat, and Elijah thinks he just can't go on. So what should you do when you think you just can't go on? You should, number one, remember that you are never alone. You are not alone. God is aware. Elijah has tried to run to a place where nobody can find him. It's kind of like pulling down the shades, turning off the lights, locking the doors, getting under the covers, curling up in the fetal position, and refusing to answer the phone. I want no one to contact me. That's Elijah. He wants to disappear. He wants to be hidden. He flees to Beersheba. It's the, it's the most southern city in all of Israel. He's working in the north, and he flees to the very south where he hopes no one can find him. And then he goes further, leaves his servant there, and goes into the wilderness because he wants to disappear. He wants to be hidden. And the first thing that he's made aware of is that God is there already and sees him, and he sends a messenger. Pick up the reading in verse 5. The middle of verse 5 said, All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. See, God was already there. God was waiting for him with a messenger, an angel, and God gave him just what he needed. What did he need? He needed rest. He needed sleep. He needed refreshment. And so God sent the angel with food, and let him rest and let him sleep. And sometimes, here's the thing, God knows when you feel like you can't go on, you should not go on right then. You can't give out what you don't have. And so he needed to be replenished. He needed to be refueled in a sense. 
But he needed to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it was God who was watching him. And when he was watching him, he's watching him with love. He's not judging him. He's not hating him. He's meeting his needs. He gave him something to eat and let him rest. But there's more. Pick up the reading in verse 7. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb is another name for Sinai. That's where Moses encountered God. Great things have happened on this mountain. And there on this mountain, the Lord adds again to Elijah's blessing. He brought him not only refreshment and rest, but he brought him refocus in this setting that he associates with wonderful occurrences, with wonderful things. There's nothing magic about the mountain of God there, but it helps to be reminded that this was a place that God had mightily worked in the past, and maybe he'll work again for me. Sometimes the setting helps. Every once in a while, there'll be a person here in this sanctuary slipping in during the week, praying. They don't want to talk to anybody, really. They don't want to really see anybody, but, but the setting helps. Nothing magic, but in the setting, he went into a cave. Verse 9, it says, And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And word, the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. What is he doing? He's defending his attitude, right? He's kind of saying, you know what? Yes, I'm depressed, but guess what? I deserve to be depressed. I've earned this depression. I'm the only one who's faithful. I deserve to be miserable. Everyone else rejects your covenants. They break down your altars except me, and I'm the only one, and this situation stinks. One author writes about being visited by a friend of hers in a time when she was depressed, and the friend tried to cheer her up, you know, and get her going again. And she turned to that friend and said, Listen, in times of tribulation, I just want to tribulate. <laughs> and that's Elijah right here. I want to tribulate. But God was there. Last Wednesday in the Wall Street Journal, there was an article. It talked about what they called toxic positivity. And the toxic positivity is, and this is the quote from the article, happy talk not rooted in reality. That doesn't help, right? Maybe you've been there. People try to give you happy talk not rooted in reality. Toxic positivity as opposed, as opposed to hope. Hope is always rooted in reality. Happy talk doesn't help you, but hope helps. In, in his situation, toxic positivity would be like somebody coming along saying, cheer up, Elijah. Look on the bright side. So the queen wants you dead. Whatever. Don't worry about it. Snap out of it. Right? That's not going to help. Happy talk, not rooted in reality. But God meets him here in a moment in the certain reality of his presence, his power, his nearness, his love, and his listening. God is always near, aware, and caring, and always has a plan, and that's the reality that Elijah encounters here that brings hope. And that's the reality of your life as well. It brings hope. God is aware of our emotions. He doesn't judge us for those emotions. He doesn't hate us for those emotions. He, he understands that there are times when, when we get trapped. There are times when we tribulate. But he's saying, I don't want you to linger in the tribulation because I will show you hope based on reality. And so God says, 
to Elijah, verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his, pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out, and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? The same exact question in verse 9, here again in verse 13. And Elijah gave the same exact answer. I've been zealous working for the Lord. Things are not working out. Nobody else is with me. The same exact words that he answered God in the first place, he answered now in the second time. But I think that if we were listening, if we were positioned at the mouth of that cave, and if we would hear Elijah speak those words, we would have heard a completely different tone of voice. Because you see, the facts haven't changed. The facts, as he understands them, haven't changed. But he has changed. Something has changed within him, and the change came in the whisper. The Hebrew in verse 12 is the sound of soft stillness. King James Version, the still, small voice. That still, small voice was just what Elijah needed to convince him of the care of God. And it was that beginning there, right there, beginning for his healing. The facts on the ground weren't, weren't different. He could state the exact same thing. But he was different in regards to them. You see, with God, the solutions are real. And he knows how to deliver those solutions. And the whisper of God got through just as God knew it would. And God knows how to deliver his solutions to you once you start listening. And the lesson in the listening is this. God's faithfulness and God's power is not always all about flashy, huge events, just like the fiery uh, altar that happened a chapter ago. He's not always about that. But God's faithfulness and God's power is also found as you listen to the whisper of his voice. In the sound of stillness, God can get your attention. And as Elijah begins to listen, God begins to reorganize his life and redirect his gaze. Elijah, you've been looking at your problems this way. I want you to look at them this way. I want you to see this a whole new way. And when you do, you're going to receive directions from me. And God gives him direction. Read on verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Maholah, to succeed you as a prophet. In other words, God is saying, Elijah, I want you to pivot your, your, your gaze towards the future, away from the past. Pivot your gaze towards the future. And when you do that, I'm going to give you new responsibilities because big changes are coming. And Elijah, you're part of those big changes. God gives him something to do that's going to make it all about what's coming, the future, future kings, future prophets. And what God is saying to Elijah, he's also saying to us, he's saying, get ready today for what's coming tomorrow. 
For I have a plan for your tomorrow, and I am commissioning you to accomplish that plan in your tomorrow. God always has a plan. He doesn't come to you with happy talk, not based on reality. He is the great reality. Ahab is on the way out. There's a new king named Jehu. Hazel is the new king in Damascus, that's Syria. Elisha will be your successor. Even if your today seems like it's going all wrong, you got to start today to get ready for tomorrow and look to the future saturated with God's presence. And when you look to the future and know that it's saturated with God's presence, that brings you hope. And hope is enjoying the future in advance. That's what hope is. I'm anticipating this future. I'm enjoying it in advance because I know that God is waiting there for me just as, really, as, as real as he's here with me right now. Enjoy the future in advance. It starts by listening to the small voice, the sound of soft stillness. And God still speaks words of reassurance. Get ready for tomorrow. And there's one more thing here. God has listened to Elijah give his excuses twice now. One in a tone of rebellion, one in a tone of submission. But he doesn't have all the facts, Elijah. In verse 18, God says, you're not the only one who's faithful. There are 7,000 who are faithful, and I'm going to send you to one of them. His name is Elisha, and he's going to be your teammate and eventually your successor. So when you feel that crushing depression like you just can't go on. Part of what God is saying is don't go on alone. Look for somebody who's going to come alongside you. When you tribulate, you need a team. He says, team up, Elijah. Team up with the one I'm going to send you. When in the flesh you want to just crawl under the covers and stay all by yourself, he says, I want you to look up, reach out, and team up. And as you do that, you will see Depression and fear do not need to defeat you. God can lift you up. And he will do that today just as much as he did that in this day. Because what happened then happens now. Let's pray together. Lord, remind us of your greatness. Remind us that you are always near, that we are never alone, and as we face the difficulties of life, you are there encouraging, helping, strengthening, and giving vision. And as we face the joys of life, you are cheering us on. Thank you, God, for your nearness. Help us depend on the, on the way that you want us to go, on the will that you have for us, and say yes to the future. Give us hope. Help us enjoy the future in advance. But we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.